Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whenever you may be listening. Welcome to episode 43 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. I'm your host, Luke Halgerson. You know how we do it. Five topics, unpopular opinion. Let's get right into it. Topic number one, going on NFL week 14. Fantasy football playoffs are already starting for leagues, but we're going to talk about what actually happens in reality, not this fantasy crap. So in reality, we got some great games this weekend. This might be the best weekend yet for the NFL just because of all, all the playoff implications that we are leading up to. So we are going to predict the biggest games of the weekend, but we're not just going to do five games because this weekend has way too many games to not include to talk about. So we're going to expand it from five. We're going to seven games this week. So the first game, the Thursday night football game, Patriots against the Rams. Patriots, six and six with no Tom Brady, Cam Newton leading the way. The offense hasn't looked great the past few weeks, but they have been playing extremely well. Uh, I mean, Belichick just continues to show why he's the most decorated and greatest coach in NFL history because he's leading this team who had a lot of opt-outs due to the coronavirus pandemic, has very little offensive capabilities besides what Cam can offer up as they have really no skilled position players that are of any significance whatsoever. Edelman's been out all year. I don't even think I could name a starting wide receiver for this Patriots team. But yet, here they are, 6-6 six and six and fighting for a possible playoff spot in the AFC. Now, the AFC is south is uh, stacked this year. It has been fantastic. So quickly before we jump into the games, let's just go over the standings real quickly in the AFC. So the Bills, we'll start with the AFC East. Bills, top of the division, they're 9-3. Dolphins, 8-4. Patriots, 6-6. Obviously, the lowly Jets, 0-12. They have yet to win a game. AFC West, we got the Chiefs top, 11-1. Raiders, 7-5. Broncos 4 and 8, Chargers 3 and 9. In the AFC North, Steelers, they're 11 and 1 coming off their most recent loss to the Washington football team in which I predicted that upset. Don't want to brag, but we're saying it. Browns, they are 9 and 3 even though they have a negative point differential of minus 15. They've won 4 in a row. They've been playing well as of late. Also have the Ravens. They just beat the Dallas Cowboys on Tuesday night, they improved to 7-5. and five. Bengals lowly 2-9-1. and one. And then in the AFC South, we have the Tennessee Titans at the top, tied right now at 8-4 and four with the Colts, but the Titans hold the tiebreaker. Both teams 8-4. and four. Texans opposite record 4-8. and eight. And then the lonely Jacksonville Jaguars at 1-11. and 11. As far as the... Um, NFC goes in the NFC lease the uh, New York football Giants five and seven tied with the Washington Redskins at five and seven but the Giants hold the tiebreaker Eagles three eight and one and the Cowboys bottom of the barrel three and nine in the NFC West the Rams are currently the number one team as they hold the tiebreaker over the Seahawks they're eight and four Seahawks are also eight and four Cardinals been struggling they've lost three in a row they're six and six 49ers Five and seven in the NFC North. Packers, they're nine and three. Vikings, six and six. 
the lowly six losses in a row. Chicago Bears are five and seven, along with the Detroit Lions, who just beat the Bears. They're also five and seven. And then the final division, NFC South, the New Orleans Saints, who that they ten and two. They've won nine in a row. The Tampa Bay Bucks, right there behind them, seven and five. They've lost two in a row, coming off a bye week. Uh, then we got the Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers, both four and eight. So it is stacked all around. It's a tight knit race. A lot of playoff spots up for grabs. So first game, we got to break down Patriots against the Rams. Thursday night, Patriots have won nine straight games, played on three days rest. Long of active streak in the NFL. New England's last such loss was week 11 of 2008 versus the Jets when Brett Favre and Matt Castle were the starting quarterbacks. My goodness, how time flies by. How time flies by. Jared Goff has a 46.1 passer rating this season when under pressure, the lowest since his rookie year in 2016. He's got a passer rating of 106.1 um, when he's not under pressure. So, frankly, if the offensive line does what they're supposed to do, Goff can look pretty good. But under pressure, he struggles. Patriots have won four of their last five games, really have turned it around. They've gone to a more run-centric grinded out football just because of the lack of skilled players that they have on the outside at the wide receiver position. Cam Newton threw for 69 yards last game, and they obliterated the Chargers. It wasn't even close. What was it, 45 to nothing? The Patriots, with Cam throwing for 69 yards, they won by that much. Just unheard of. Patriots have committed the fewest penalties in the NFL this season at 45. So, as usual, just a well-coached, well-oiled machine that Bill Belichick is running, even with the lack of skill that they have on the team. The Rams have averaged 28.3 points per game under Sean McMay, the most by a head coach in the Super Bowl era. And Cam Newton has the lowest win percentage in passer rating of any qualified season by a New England quarterback since Tom Brady became the starter in 2001. Now, granted, only Tom Brady has really been the starter, so um, kind of a random stat there. But his teams are very different, very different. One has a really high octane offense, can do a number of different things. Uh, that being the Rams, they rank third in overall offense. Their defense has been spectacular, too. This is the game's... This is the Rams game to lose. The Rams should win this one. It should be their win. Like the, the Patriots don't move the ball well offensively. They got a good rushing attack. That's really what they're going down to. But the Rams counter that well with a great rushing defense and pass defense. Like You could say they got the best run and pass defense in the league. Like this is a defensive team in the Rams. Now, the offense has looked good, but they have struggled a bit of late. Eight and four. Look, New England has just overachieved. Bill Belichick is always just one of the smartest minds, and is just going to do more with less than any coach in the NFL. But I'm, I'm going to pick the Rams to the, win this one. I, I would be shocked if this lowly offense of the Patriots can continue to pull out wins. I, they started the year... Two and five, and now they've won four of their last five. It really doesn't make any sense how this team is winning football games, but when you watch it, 
it, they're literally going back to this 70s style football where they're just going to run the ball down your throat um, with the quarterback and with the running backs, you know, backfield by committee there in New England. But I am still going with the Los Angeles Rams. Just don't, the Patriots just don't have enough firepower for me. And all around, I would say the Rams have a better defense, um, better rushing attack. Mm, not so much rushing attack. That's really the only advantage that the Patriots have. But the Rams are better in every other facet of the game at this point in the year. Give me the Rams. Second big game of the weekend, the Minnesota Vikings against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Bucks coming off a bye week. So they need this one. They've lost two in a row. Uh, we're really, I don't want to say the wheels are falling off the bus for this Buccaneers team, but they just need to figure it out. Just really need to figure it out. Start moving in the right direction. Stop pointing fingers at each other. Someone take accountability. Step up and start winning football games. This is a game for them to get back on track against the Vikings. They're 6-6. Six and six. Uh, their just most recent victory came overtime against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who continue to find new ways to lose, uh, much like the Jets. But this is a bounce-back game for the Bucs. Uh, they really need to figure it out. Frankly, they just need to help out the running game. Like, Rondell Jones is a good running back. Leonard Fournette ha has just disappeared under this Bruce Arians scheme. Like, they need to go back to what makes Brady successful, having a competent run game for then Brady to dish out the ball to his wide receivers. They, Bucks, I think this is a game where they turn it around. I don't believe in Kirk Cousins at all. It, it, Brady is way better. I mean, Kirk Cousins, he's played great. I will give him that. I will give him that. Has 15 pass TDs and two interceptions since week eight. Uh, he, he has stepped it up. They got the fourth-ranked offense in the league, shockingly. And that's because they got Delvin Cook, who him and Derrick Henry are the two top running backs in the league. Whichever one you want, feel free to take. But the, as of right now, those are the two best running backs in the game. Delvin Cook has looked great this year. Tom Brady is 14-4 and four in his career following a bye week uh, with an average margin of victory of 17.3 points. So... I mean, that's under the Belichick era. You know Belichick is going to make the necessary adjustments during the bye week, use that valuable time. Let's see if Bruce Arians can do that. The Vikings are one of three teams with five-plus wins and 27-plus points per game since week eight. The other two teams, two of the best teams in football, Kansas City Chiefs and New Orleans Saints. The Bucks have not allowed a 100-yard rusher since week nine of 2019. That's 20 games, and they're going up, like I said, against the second round best or best running back in the league in Dalvin Cook. Well, they, got, they got a good defensive front. They know how to stop the run. They just can't stop the pass very well. The Vikings have not allowed a 100-yard receiver since week seven. They're one of two teams to do that. They got a lot of weapons. Seven and five against six and six. Brady against Cousins. Give me the Bucks. Bucks need to turn it around. I think they're going to get to eight wins here. Start moving in the right direction. Start making that playoff push that they need to make. This is a big game for the Bucks. I think they don't want to fall to seven and six. Um, whew, tightness race, and the Bucks need to win this one. So give me the Bucks 
It's in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, Give me the Buccaneers against the Vikings. Third game, Chiefs versus the Dolphins. 11-1 against 8-4. Dolphins have looked great. The defense has been spectacular. The only problem is the uh, they really don't know what they're doing. What they've come out, Flores has, Brian Flores, head coach of the Miami Dolphins, has said if Tua is healthy, he will play. He will be the starter. And he, he's looked okay. He just hasn't turned the ball over. Miami has scored fewer than 20 points in each of Tua's last two starts. Kansas City scored fewer than 20 points once in Patrick Mahomes' 43 career starts. I mean, Tua isn't comparable to Patrick Mahomes right now to put them in the same sentence. It's a little disrespectful. I mean, Chiefs have the number one offense, the number one passing attack, middle of the range in rushing. But Dolphins have allowed 21 points or fewer in 9 of 12 games this season. Most such in the NFL. Uh, so the defense has stepped up very nicely for them. But the problem is Patrick Mahomes is 7-0 and in his career versus top five scoring defenses. And Patrick Mahomes has also averaged more pass yards per game to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey than Tua has to starter overall. <laughs> the Dolphins have scored... 20 points or fewer in three straight games. Uh, Tua's 136 pass attempts without an interception are the second most by a rookie quarterback to start an NFL career. So Tua doesn't turn the ball over. That's because I think they limit him offensively in what they allow him to do. Uh, the Chiefs, though. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, they're just too good. I, I know they did not look great against the Broncos, but I think this team just, what they do is they take the foot off the gas pedal. I think they they are one of the teams that can actually be like, we are so good, we do not need to go hard every time. Complacency could become an issue, but I think the, the Bronco game was a gut check to be like, we can't take any team lightly. We shouldn't be taking any team lightly. This is still the NFL. You never know what can happen on Sunday. The game is in Miami um, at Hard Rock Stadium. I just can't I can't bet against the Chiefs. They're the best team in football. They've been spectacular this year. Even with the Raiders, I mean, excuse me, the Steelers, even when they were undefeated, I still saw the Chiefs as the best team in football. Even after their loss to the Raiders, still thought they were the best team in football, and they've looked fantastic ever since then. I, can't, I really can't pick the Chiefs to not win this game. Give me the Chiefs. Over the Dolphins, Mahomes, at this point, he's the MVP favorite. It's tough to argue anyone else other than maybe Aaron Rodgers. He, those are the two guys at the top. I mean, I don't consider Ben right there because he, he hasn't looked spectacular. The numbers are there, but he, I don't know. The Steelers don't scare me, but uh, Patrick Mahomes, MVP frontrunner. Give me the Chiefs against the Dolphins. Chiefs move to 12 and one Dolphins drop to eight and five. Another, just so many big games this weekend. Another one, Cardinals against the Giants. Cardinals have been fading. They've lost three in a row since the Hail Mary catch that DeAndre Hopkins had against the Buffalo Bills. The offense has struggled a little bit. Still sixth ranked offense in the league. Fourth best rushing attack. 
Uh, but the Giants, this is a team that has stepped up way more. Way more. I didn't see this coming. And I thought they were uh, just terrible. I thought every team in this NFC lease was awful. But the Giants just came off beating the Seattle Seahawks, a team that will definitely find themselves in the playoffs and possibly could be playing the Giants <laughs> if they don't win their division. Giants are going to be hosting a playoff game, and they just beat the Seahawks on the road. I know there aren't any fans in Seattle, but it still matters. Home field advantage is still a thing. But Giants have stepped up real nicely. Literally, if they had Saquon Bartley and maybe Daniel Jones wasn't battling injury throughout this year, who knows what this team could be. They might actually have a winning record rather than the lowly 5-7 and seven that they are. But Cardinals... Six and six. The game is in New York. It's a big time game. Giants, 10th best defense in the league as of right now. They've allowed fewer than 20 points in three straight games for the first time since 2009. <sighs> Kyler Murray is 11 and five in his in career games with six plus carries. Uh, he's 0 and 11 and 1 with five or fewer carries. So maybe run the ball with him a little more is what that sounds like. I mean, the Cardinals are 1 and 4 in weeks 8 through 13. And the Giants are allowing their fewest points per game and rush yards per game in a season since 2016. Another thing to note DeAndre Hopkins has. Fewer than 60 yards receiving in three straight games for the first time since 2016. This Cardinals team is moving in the wrong direction at the wrong time, and these Giants are moving in the right direction at the right time. With that, they're just, I think that that's the thing. They're being polar opposites right now, treading in the right direction for the Giants, Cardinals, wrong way. With that, uh, if Colt McCoy is still going to be the starter, it is st- <laughs> it is tough to pick the New York Giants against the Cardinals. But I think this defense has been incredible. Kyler has struggled against good defenses in the past. I'm I'm going with the Giants here. They're moving in the right direction. They're playing better each and every week. I I gotta go with it. I, I got to pick the Giants. I, I'm riding high on them. They, they're playing well. They're playing well. I didn't think they would absolutely be. I didn't think any team in the NFC lease would be relevant at any point this year. But the Giants are showing that they are relevant and possibly belong with the playoff contenders. And after beating Seattle, maybe they proved it. Maybe they proved it. But big time game. Give me the Giants over the Cardinals, another big game. Colts against the Raiders. Eight and four Colts, seven and five Raiders. And what it, what just happened? Didn't the Raiders like just lose a bad one? And I th- they did just lose a bad. One. No, my mistake. How could you lose a bad game to the Jets? Jets were winning all game, all game, and then on the forty yard line. With 15 seconds to go, the idea to run a <laughs> engage eight, blitz eight guys when the Jets have, when the Raiders, excuse me, have no timeouts. <laughs> I mean, it's why Greg Williams lost his job. The Jets had the game wrapped. You play coverage, you play deep, 
You don't give up the deep ball, and sure enough, Henry Ruggs, the streaker, all he does, he's just a speedster. He's going to go out there, run downfield, car hit him for a game-winning touchdown. Jets just continue to find new ways to lose. They fire their GM, um, but they, they look pedestrian. The Raiders didn't look great They against the Jets, the lowly Jets. Haven't won a game all year, and the Colts and the Raiders, excuse me, looked pedestrian, so... So this is a big bounce-back game. I hate guessing games with the Colts, too, because, you know, they'll win fluke games against the Packers in overtime, and then they'll get throttled by the Tennessee Titans. I just – I still just don't know what I'm getting out of this team coming off their most recent victory against the Houston Texans. Scraped by that, too. I just – God, I don't believe in this Colts team at all. I just can't buy into Phillip Rivers. But you look at it, Derek Carr, he's has eight touchdowns, zero interceptions versus the Colts. Um, that's the best ratio versus any opponent. Phillip Rivers has the most wins, pass yards, and pass TDs versus the Raiders in NFL history. That coming with his time with the Chargers. Raiders have scored 30-plus points in four of their last five games. Colts have allowed... 30-plus points in two of their last three games. Raiders have three wins versus teams currently in the playoff picture, tied for most such in the NFL. They've beaten the Saints, Chiefs, Cleveland. All have over nine wins. Colts have not allowed 100-plus receiving yards to a tight end since week eight of 2016, and that was after Waller had a huge game. Ugh, I just... You know, Rivers has been better, I guess. He, I mean, he's been way better. Passer rating, 290.9. I mean, d- passing yards per game, that's what he's at. 290.9, 14 TDs, 4 interceptions, 98, 99.8 passer rating, 4 turnovers in his last 7 games. So he's been improving as the year has gone on. Still not a big believer in him, though. Colts 8-4, and four, Raiders 7-5. and five. Games in Vegas. I just, every, every time I pick the Colts or go against the Colts, I get it wrong. I, I don't know what to believe at this point with this team. So I'm going to go against them. Give me the Raiders. Gruden's got this team moving in the right direction. They're putting up a lot of points at will. Colts, they give up a lot of points to teams that they shouldn't be giving up a lot of points to. You know, the Colts have a good defense, fifth-ranked. Raiders are pretty pedestrian at everything other than having the 10th-best rushing attack. They're right in the middle of the pack with a 15th-ranked offense, though. But Gruden knows how to game plan against the good teams, the playoff contending teams. So I'm going to pick the Raiders in this one. Give me the Raiders against the Colts. Uh, the second to last big game that we got of the weekend, Steelers against the Bills. 11-1 Pittsburgh Steelers coming off an upset loss that I predicted to the Washington football team on Monday night. Going up against the Bills. Bills are, Bills are our team treading in the right direction at the right time. They just beat the San Francisco 49ers 30 Four to 24. I like this Bills team. I really like it. Josh Allen is only getting better as the year goes on. It's kind of, 
you know, a passing of the torch. Like, Josh Allen is a big, strong-arm quarterback, very similar to what Big Ben was early in his career. But Josh Allen, I think, gets it done way better. At this point, I would rather have Josh Allen than Ben Roethlisberger. I really think it's a passing of the torch. Bill's offense ranked 10th in the league, third best passing attack. Who's that because? Mr. Josh Allen. Speaking on Ben Roethlisberger, though, has 250-plus pass yards, zero sacks taken in five straight games. That is pretty good for Mr. Roethlisberger. They're protecting him well, but the offense hasn't been putting up points that much. Steelers have rushed on fewer than 40% of their plays in seven straight games. Josh Allen leads the Bills with six rushing TDs this season. All other Buffalo Bill players combined have four rushing TDs. Of the seven previous teams to start 11-0 or better in the last 25 seasons, four of them lost consecutive games after their undefeated start. So that doesn't bode well for the Steelers, I guess. Um, Pitt has, is allowing the second-fewest fantasy points per game to running backs this season. Uh, the Bills are allowing the most receptions to tight ends this season, so Ebron might have a big game um, against the Bills. Uh, the defense for the Steelers is great, but, I, again, I'm not threatened by the Steelers. I'm not that worried about them. They have gone away from the rushing attack altogether. They're 29th in the league there. Passing attack is middle of the pack. I'd rather have Allen than Roethlisberger. I just like where the Bills are going, and I really think the Steelers are a bit of a fluke starting the year 11-1. and I think it, they've showed who they are in that Washington loss. Alex Smith rallied the troops, led the Washington football team to a victory. I, just, I like this Bills team more than where I like the Raid, uh, Steelers right now, so give me the Bills. Bills against the Steelers. Bills will improve to 10-3 and if they win. Steelers would drop to 11-2. It's a big game, though. It's the Sunday night football game on NBC, so stay locked. The final game, the Monday night football game, battle of the divisional rivals and the city teams. The Baltimore Ravens against the Cleveland Steamers. That's right, the Browns. 9-3, the Cleveland Browns. They're the only team to be 9-3 in NFL history and have a negative point differential. That's right, minus 15 in the point differential department. Baker Mayfield looked great last week. Um, what did he throw? 334 yards, four touchdowns in the first half. I mean, he only threw for 50 in the second half, but I think that's because they didn't know what they were doing with a lead that large. It just isn't something that they're accustomed to seeing. Look, last time these teams played... Ravens walloped them. Now, I think both teams are drastically different than what they once were. It was 38-6. to uh, Both teams had the best rushing attack in the league. Passing attack for the Ravens has been dreadful this year. They ranked last, last. Eighth best defense, though. Offense ranks 23rd. Browns, though, they have the second best rushing attack. 16th ranked overall offense. <sighs> oh, it, it's going to be a good one. The Monday night football game. But who would you rather have, though? Honestly, Lamar Jackson or Baker Mayfield? Give me Lamar. Now, the numbers 
might not say that. This year, though, completion percentage, Lamar's a little higher, 63.8, Baker 62.7. But Baker has 21 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, while Lamar, 17 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Mayfield has zero interceptions in five straight games. Tied for the second longest streak for Cleveland since 1970. This is Cleveland's first season with multiple four-plus game win streaks since 1967. The Ravens have lost four of their last six games. Each of Baltimore's last four losses have been by six or fewer points. And uh, Baker has four TDs and a perfect um, 158.3 passer rating on downfield passes. 10-plus yards for you uh, layman's out there in the last two games. So Baker's move, again, another another team trending in the right direction at the right time late in the season. But Ravens, they picked up a a much-needed victory uh, on Tuesday night against the Cowboys. It's the Cowboys, so nothing to get too excited about in that victory. But... Browns show they can beat playoff teams. Ravens still looking for a lot of answers, but God. And the Browns are, are getting better. Nine and three. Who we though? Who we? You know, I know the Browns are moving in the right direction. Just came off a big win against the Titans. Mayfield looked great. I am going to pick Baltimore in this game. Earlier this year, Ravens throttled them. I think the Ravens are going to start to get back on track as this year goes on. They're 7-5. and five. Would move to 8-5 and five with a victory against the Browns. This is a much-needed win for Baltimore to stay in the playoff hunt. Um, Monday Night Football. This is prime time. This is big-time football. Browns haven't found themselves in this position in a very long time. Uh, I think the lights might get bright, but I'm still I'm give me the Ravens. Give me the Ravens. Lamar Jackson is underappreciated. He's I think they're gonna start moving in the right direction. Give me the Ravens against the Browns. So to run it back, my picks. When it comes to the Patriots playing the Rams, give me the Rams. When it comes to the Bucks playing the Vikings, give me the Buccaneers. When it comes to the Giants playing the Cardinals. Give me the Giants. Chiefs against the Dolphins. Give me the Chiefs. Colts against the Raiders. Give me the Raiders. When it comes to the Steelers playing the Bills, I'm taking Buffalo, Bills Mafia. And then the final game, Monday night, Ravens, Browns. Give me the Ravens. It's big week 14. Big week 14. This might be the best week of the season just thus far. It's going to be exciting. I cannot wait for it. Moving on, topic number two. Let's continue the NBA team breakdown by division. Stay in the Western Conference. The final division that I have to do is the Northwest Division. That would be the division of the Denver Nuggets, Portland Trailblazers, Utah Jazz, Minnesota Timberwolves, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Let's start to the team with the team that had the best year last year of all of them, and I would say that would be the Denver 
Nuggets. They, they didn't do too much. If anything, we got to talk about who they lost. Look, I guess they drafted R.J. Hampton at 24th overall. Also got some guy, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Zeke Najee. Um, really didn't give uh, Jermichael Green. Decided to, after the Clippers blew a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets, he decided, yeah, I want to go run with the Nuggets now. I'm going to go run with them. They showed more heart, more dedication, more will to win. So interesting to see that chemistry was that big an issue for the Clippers team. But we'll get into that later. And um, they got a guy from Real Madrid, Fernando Campazzo. Um, we'll see what kind of impact he has coming over from Europe. Uh, I don't know too much about him. Uh, but they did lose some key guys. Jeremy Grant signed a nice contract with the Detroit Pistons. Mason Plumley also went to the Detroit Pistons. Uh, Torrey Craig, he went to the Milwaukee Bucks. Tyler Cook, Torrey Daniels, and Noah Vonley, um, also guys that the Nuggets did not bring back. Uh, just, just interesting that they have, uh, they didn't really make any moves. Really, this is the Jamal Murray Jokic show. I still think they'll be very um, competitive in this Western Conference. I see them being at the top of the conference again, being that you know two, three, four range right there. Still a very good team, going to continue to move in the right direction. Jokic is only going to get better. Murray's only get going to get better. I think Mike Malone is a great coach, underappreciated. I think he, he believes in his guys, and they believe that. He, in him. I mean, they came back from two 3-1 deficits last year in the bubble. Um, yeah, they got handled by the Lakers, but that's the, you know, the reigning champion Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Just a whole different beast. But Nuggets are still going to be very solid this year. Bull Bulls looking great um, in training camp. Michael Porter, MPJ, Michael Porter Jr. I, he's only going to get better. They got a good team. I like their core of players. If you just look at it right there of that top three of Murray, Jokic, Port, MPJ, oh boy. That's a nice little tandem right there. It's a nice little trio that you got working with there in Denver. So a lot of things to like with the Nuggets. I expect them to keep moving in the right direction. Second team I want to get to, uh, the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, they, they made moves. They were one of the most active teams during the offseason. They traded for Robert Covington uh, from the Houston Rockets, traded Trevor Ariza away. And then they also traded for Ernest Cantor, bringing him back to um, Oregon. So that's kind of interesting right there. Um, nice little solid backup power forward in Cantor. I expect Covington to start for them in free agency. They got De the high flyer, Derek Jones Jr. from the Miami Heat, signed him to a nice deal. So they, they have some great wing depth if you look at it really gotta like what they do they also brought back one of my favorite players ever the carmelo anthony zach collins is coming back from injury for them um their draft pick cj lb drafted 46 overall how big an impact he'll have we'll see and uh, they lost trevor ariza he didn't even play in the bubble uh mario hazonia he was traded to the memphis grizzlies um I guess they lost Jamal Adams to the Bucks. Hassan Whiteside moves on. He goes to the Kings. Um, Moses Brown. Uh, Wayne Gabriel. Uh, a couple 
just no-name guys that they lost in free agency. But I like where this Portland Trailblazers team is headed. Nurkic is going to have a full season under his belt. He looked great in the bubble. Really liked what I saw out of him. Uh, Dame, second-best point guard in the Western Conference. Yeah, there I said it. There I said If you want, okay, if you want to cat, even, <clears throat> tough to say, but Dame is only behind Steph Curry in that category. If you want to put Luka ahead of him, okay, you do that. But Luka's just going into his third year. I know he's great, but I would take Dame as of right now. Um, I just like where this Trailblazers team is headed. They got a nice starting lineup and a great starting lineup. Dame, CJ, start Robert Covington at the three. Uh, then you got Zach Collins at the four. Maybe even start Carmelo at the four, bring Zach Collins or and Ernest Canner off the bench. And then you got Nurkic at the five. I like where this team is headed. I like what Portland is going to do. I think they're going to be dangerous. I really think they're going to be better than what they were last year and barely squeaking into the playoffs and having to play in the playing game. I think this team has the chance to be at the top of the conference. I think Dame has a lot to prove this year. So I like what I see from the Portland Trailblazers. I see them getting better. And uh, I, I love what they did this offseason. Absolutely love what this team did. Third team, and we got to talk about the Utah. <laughs> the Utah Jazz. Uh, they didn't do much. Uh, they really didn't do much at all. I mean, what did they do? It's, uh, tell, uh, I don't see it. Elijah Hughes, 39th overall. Ukata. Udaka Uzupi. I, I don't know. They also lost Derek Favors. He signed with the uh, New Orleans. Uh, actually, scratch that. Derek Favors played for the New Orleans Pelicans. He returns to Utah, so he'll fit in nicely at the, uh, the four spots. So, decent starting lineup there. Decent starting lineup of what they're working with of Conley, Mitchell, Ingles, Favors, Gobert. Very solid. They'll still be very competitive in the West. Quinn Schneider is a great coach. Doesn't get enough credit, but that's because he plays in a lowly market like Utah. Um, guys, they lost. Look, they're not going to miss Ed Davis because they bring back Favors. Tony Bradley, eh, he won't be missed much. Lost Emmanuel Moutier, I guess. I mean, they still got Jordan Clarkson as their sixth man. I don't see the Jazz being much better than what they were last year, um, being the five seed. Um, you know, they were up 3-1 against the Denver Nuggets, blew that lead. Mitchell went off at that time. Um, you know, just, uh, they're the Jazz. They're still going to be a very competitive team. I think Mitchell is only going to get better as time goes on because he's still young, signed that big um, extension a while back. So this team... They're going to continue to move in the right direction. and um, But they still need a couple more pieces to be added for them to be true championship contenders. But they'll still be very competitive in the Western Conference. So you, you got to enjoy yourself if you're a Jazz fan. Fourth team, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Huh, I'm, not, I'm not, the, not a big fan of this team. Look, they drafted Anthony Edwards first overall. Uh... Leonardo uh, Bomaro, 23rd overall, and Jaden McDaniels, 28th overall. So uh, Edwards was obviously the consensus, in my opinion, number one overall pick. Uh, I didn't think there were many choices because Wiseman just wouldn't have fit well next to Towns. Um, 
and then LaMelo Ball next to D'Angelo Russell, uh, that wouldn't have been a good backcourt. That probably would have been the worst back defensive backcourt in NBA history. Uh, they also traded for Ricky Rubio, uh, got him who was traded uh, as part of that Chris Paul deal. He was traded to the Thunder, and then the Thunder traded him to the Timberwolves. Uh, they got Hernan Gomez, brought him back. Uh, they lose James Johnson. Uh, lost Alan Crabb, I guess. Uh, Evan Turner becomes a player personnel coach for the Boston Celtics. Well, I, I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. I don't see how they get much better. Look, they yeah, they bring in D'Angelo Russell, play him next to Carl Anthony Towns. Anthony Edwards should fit nicely around them, but they're just too young, don't have a lot of talent outside of those three guys. And it's just, I mean, they're the worst organization in NBA history. I've made that case before. Maybe they can start to turn things around. Definitely not going to be fighting for a playoff spot. Um, I really think they're going to be at the bottom of the barrel and find themselves as a high draft pick next year in the lottery. So I just, I don't, I have no faith in this Timberwolves team. I, Rubio, D'Angelo Russell isn't going to be great defensively. Anthony Edwards will be at the three spot. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, it just, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big believer in this team. So I don't expect them to go much of anywhere. And I would say the same thing about this final team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Look, they just decided we're just going to accumulate draft picks. It's time to hit the reset button, get rid of Chris Ball. It's time, time to plan for the future with all of our draft picks and see what we can do. Because they did a lot. Like, they really did a lot. They added Al Horford as part of the Danny Green trade. Uh, Ty Jerome got him from the Suns. Uh, also got another guy from the Suns, Jalen Lekish. They got Trevor Ariza as well, Justin Jackson, George Hill, Darius Miller, TJ Leaf. I mean, they just traded for a lot of guys to kind of just – and I expect, I expect them to try to move Horford. I think they were just willing to take the contract because they're like, hey, we got the money. We got rid of Chris Paul. We got rid of Steven Adams. We have the money to spend to bring in some more guys. But like I said, they lost Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, Terrence Ferguson. They lost Nader. Steven Adams is gone. Free agents, Dino Gallinari left. Nerlens Noel left. I mean, they're going to be a brand new team, and they are going to be dreadful. Oh, they are going to be the worst team in the league, no doubt about it. This is just time for... Develop Shea Gillis-Alexander for the future. Uh, Horford's definitely not in their long-term plans. They got all these draft picks. I expect them to use them, maybe even trade for them once the team becomes a little more competent. But they're the early favorites to be the worst team in the NBA. Uh, by far. By far. I don't think there's any chance that they can overachieve like they did this year into next year. Uh, I don't see any chance of that happening. So they're going to be bad. They are going to be atrocious, speaking of which. Just absolutely terrible. <laughs> just god-awful. Moving on, topic number three. Conference championship games are set. That is right. I mean, we know the conference championship, so we're just going to run them down real quick. Tell you what, who's matching up against who. And once we, so we still got another week of college football. 
should be known we still got another week of teams making it happen, playing games, finishing out the season, um, and then conference championships will be the following week, week 16, if I remember correctly. That is right, week 16, Saturday, December 19th is when these will go down. So I'm not going to give my picks yet. Once all of them are decided, because we still don't know who the uh, the Pac-12 um, game will be between. Kind of irrelevant, though. It's the most irrelevant Power 5 conference to this point. Um, but it'll be determined this week. So let's just run down the conference championships that have been decided. So in the ACC, my Notre Dame undefeated, number two in the nation, fighting Irish, have the rematch of the Clemson Tigers. Trevor Lawrence is coming back for that game, should be playing um, number two against number three. This is the game. In Notre Dame, this is the... Either way, both of these teams, regardless of the outcome of the game. Now, maybe the only thing that could change either of these teams not making the playoff would be if Notre Dame were to be Clemson again. I mean, even so, even if that were to happen, would they have a one-loss Florida or Texas A&M play and now what they're doing is just so everyone knows on December 19th Texas A&M will go up against Tennessee so they do get another game to play but it and so what should be also noted that the top six teams right now are Alabama Notre Dame Clemson Ohio State Texas A&M and Florida so would they really put a one loss Texas A&M over a two loss Clemson possibly what if, Flor- if Florida loses? So let's move to the SEC game. Alabama will be playing Florida. The number one overall Alabama Crimson Tide going up against the Florida Gators. Probably the two favorites for the Heisman right there. Mack with Bama, Trask with Florida. Uh, and this goes to more of the scenarios. If Alabama were to beat Florida, that, pretty, that knocks Florida out of their chance of making the playoff they had two losses no two loss team has ever made the playoffs so that's why it's interesting if Clemson were to lose to Notre Dame if Notre Dame were to win would Clemson still get in over a one loss Texas A&M team if they had two losses I would say no so Clemson Notre Dame has some big ones has some big implications if Notre Dame wins now if Clemson wins I would say both teams will make it no matter what both teams will make it no matter what. And maybe Clemson would jump Notre Dame. Notre Dame might fall back to the four. But I think it, no matter if Clemson wins, no matter what both teams are in, if Notre Dame wins, then, then the committee could be talking about something. Then the committee could be discussing something. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But the other SEC championship, Alabama against Florida. Now, if Florida wins... <laughs> oh boy. Then I really think that Alabama <laughs> would make it and Florida would also make it. Even though Florida lost to Texas A&M. That's why this is so juicy. That's why this is so tasty. That's why these conference championship games do matter even in this COVID-ridden season. It's very, very 
interesting. The other big one that matters, conference championship-wise, look, they're changing what their guidelines were for the Big Ten game. Ohio State, their game against Michigan was canceled this weekend. That's right, the big rivalry is not going to happen due to COVID, but Ohio State was chosen to be in the Big Ten championship game, even though they did not get to six games. The Big Ten did that themselves by canceling the season and then scheduling for it to happen later. Um, They're going to go up against Northwestern. Uh, I just, with that one, I mean, Ohio State has five games and are going to have six under their belt with this conference championship game. And they're not playing this week. Michigan canceled on them. And I don't think this has anything to do with Michigan trying to stick it to Ohio State. I mean, COVID is a concern. And, I mean, it's a down year for Michigan. Why even bother trying to play the game if you already have guys sick and you don't want to take any chances? I I understand it. And um, Ohio State should cream Northwestern. I mean, if Ohio State loses to Northwestern, they're out of the playoff. But if they win... They're still in the discussion, and I would say if everything goes steady, Ohio State should be in the playoff. If they're undefeated, they will find themselves in the playoff. If they get knocked by Northwestern, they're definitely not in. And, and the other conference championship game that doesn't matter at all, Iowa State against Oklahoma. I mean, number seven against number 11, I guess. I mean, I, I don't see Iowa State, even if... Texas A&M were to lose to Tennessee, even if uh, – I don't think there's really any way Ohio, Iowa State gets in to the playoff. They have two losses. If you have two losses, it kind of guarantees that you're not making the playoff. There's never been a two-loss playoff team. Again, I really think this should have been the year that they, gone, that they went to eight teams. It, in this ridiculous year, you might as well go for the ridiculous. So I would have preferred that, but it is what it is. And then the Pac-12, they still have yet to determine who is going to be in the conference championship, but the Big 12 and Pac-12 are irrelevant. I really think the only six teams that can get into the playoffs are Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, Texas A&M, Florida. That's it. Those are the teams. I don't think anyone else should even be considered in the discussion. It shouldn't matter. No, all the other teams are irrelevant. Those are the only deserving teams right there. Those six. Those are the six. Nobody else. Moving on. Topic number four. Well, like I mentioned earlier that the Clippers had big chemistry issues last year. You know, they it even came out right after they lost. You know, Lou Wills spoke about it, how we didn't have chemistry. We didn't have time to play with each other. You know, we just we thought we could just win off sheer talent alone. And now more information is coming out about this. And specifically coming from Paul George, the other star on the Clippers next to Kawhi Leonard. And he was on the All the Smoke podcast with Mac Barnes and Steven Jackson on Showtime. Very good. I love it. It's a very, very entertaining podcast. But uh, George discussed... Um, <laughs> how he was improperly used under Doc Rivers and the Clippers' offense. 
This is a direct quote. This is what Paul George said. The way I was used, I felt Doc was trying to play me as like a Ray Allen or a J.J. Redick. All pin downs. I can do it, but that ain't my game. I need some flow. I need some mixes of pick and rolls. I need some post-ups, just different touches. You know what I mean? That last season was just hard overall. Really, I think this is Paul George making more excuses. Like more excuses for being PG-13% and shooting the ball and hitting the backboard in a crucial game seven. I mean, just admit you sucked. You blew it. Admit it. Take accountability. Stop pointing, oh, it was the coach, it was the offense, that's why we lost. Like, Paul George gets all the excuses made for him. Uh, Everyone loves to put him in the superstar category, yet he gets none of the blame that, that other superstars get. We, everyone destroys LeBron James for anything. Now, he's a different type of player, but anyone will destroy Kevin Durant any chance they get. James Harden destroy him any chance they get. Russell Westbrook, another guy people are just willing to just throw under the bus and disrespect. But George, just talking out of his ass at this point for the reason that they blew a 3-1 lead and haven't made the conference final. Now, it's easy to point to Doc because he underachieved in his time with the Clippers. They fired him, let him go, brought in a new coach in Tyron Lue, has the same number of championships, you know. So, easy to point fingers at the guy who's no longer there. Oh, it's his fault. He's the reason we struggled. You know, George might say he had more insight, but the numbers don't add up for what he's saying. Uh, They just don't. It it really doesn't. George had fewer catch-and-shoot opportunities last season than he did in his great OKC year where he finished third in MVP voting because that matters now. He has also the exact same number of post-ups per game and more possessions as the pick-and-roll ball handler, according to NBA.com. Okay, George had significantly fewer isolations, but maybe that's because they were trying to instill a more ball-movement-type offense. But him saying he needed more post-ups and and pick-and-roll opportunities, he got more. He had more post-ups. He had as many post-ups per game. He had more possessions as the pick-and-roll ball handler last year. So what what is he talking about? I'm confused. And his excuse was, oh, they used me more as a Ray Allen, J.J. Redick type. He had less catch-and-shoot opportunities this year and attempts. Like, what? What are you talking about, George? What he's saying doesn't really make any sense at all. He went on to talk about the collapse and how they really didn't make any adjustments. He says, when we went up 3-1, we felt like we were going to win the next one. We lost. We were like, okay, cool. We're up 3-2. We're going to win the next one. We lost. But during the whole process, we never worked out on adjustments. We never worked on what to do differently. We just literally have the same shit happen over and over again. It started to play a trick on you like, man, what's going on? We talking amongst each other, the conversation's like, we're going to be all right. The conversation should have been, nah, we need to change this. We need to switch this up. At the end of the day, I don't think we deserved it. Uh, We wasn't prepared enough going into it. Just us making different adjustments standpoint, we wasn't prepared. We didn't put in the work. Um, It was like 
it was kind of just like, yo, we got PG, we got Kawhi, we got Lou Wills, we got Montrez Harrell. We gonna be straight. We gonna figure it out. So really, he just shows like they, the players didn't care. The coaches could have done all the preparation they want, and they still would have lost. <laughs> they still would have lost because oh, they just thought they had the most talent. Well, guess what? You got to put in the work and the matter. But oh, Doc Rivers isn't sitting by and just letting. Paul George say these words and putting all the blame on the coach that there didn't put any adjustments that the coach used him wrong. Does Paul George forget that Tyron Lue was the number two assistant behind Doc Rivers? Uh, does he forget how that works out? Because uh, I'm confused. Because I uh, Ty Lue is agreeing to the same offense, agreeing to the same stuff, and hey, that is exactly what Doc. Rivers said, this is what Doc Rivers had to say about this. Hey, I listen. Hey, listen, I enjoyed coaching him. So not a lot to say there. Uh, Ty Lue was sitting right next to me. So he better hope it's not adjustments. It ain't going to be much different. <laughs> listen, we lost the game and I think everyone needs to take ownership. Um, me, obviously, we can always do better. Players can play better. So as far as I'm concerned, I'll leave it there. <laughs> I mean, where's the lot? I is it really going to be that much different? Like, what more are they going to do offensively for you, George, that's just going to change it and turn you guys into the true championship team that you guys would have yourselves believe? I mean, I think it's a true culture problem. Like, you guys were entitled, especially all the news that's coming about on how Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have preferential and star treatment. Like, they could take practices off. They could set the pre travel schedule they could show up to the team flights late I mean they had their own security team I mean Kawhi Leonard lives in San Diego and would commute to Los Angeles that's like a two-hour drive to practice so you know he's going to be late he's going to be uh, not on time for things things are going to have to get scheduled move around so this team didn't have a lot of time to practice with each other they didn't they were one of the teams that were against even going to the bubble so they weren't that engaged for it to begin with I mean just an entitled team and such an entitled answer. Just blaming others for your shortcomings, Paul George. You should be ashamed of yourself. Just continue to try to make up excuses for why you lost. You blew it. And adjustments wouldn't have mattered. You guys were up by double digits in all three games that the Nuggets came back from. I mean, you had 17-point leads, 19-point leads, 15-point leads, and you blew it. Every time, I don't think it's adjustments. I think they really just blew it and thought they just had more talent and they were just going to win. I don't even think if they tried to do adjustments that they would have. I think they really would have been like, nah, we're good, we're good. Just keep doing our thing. We got all these guys. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. We're better than them. And then, you know, you got guys like Marcus Morris coming out and saying that team wasn't better than you. Well, they were better than you. They beat you in a seven-game series and you guys blew it. You guys blew it. I mean, this Clippers team just has a lot of cultural issues, and that's why a lot of rumors are swirling. They might move Lou Williams. They might be starting new, starting something afresh. Run it back with the main core of guys of Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, but this team is moving in the wrong direction. Definitely moving in the wrong direction, and... Again, I agree with Doc Rivers. I don't think it's going to be that much different with Ty Lue. <laughs> What's going to change? 
What is really going to change? Will he make them practice and play harder? Yeah. But Kawhi Leonard has serious nagging injuries to where I, don't, I still even think in a shortened season he can't play all 72 games. So this Clippers team has a lot of things that they need to answer, and I think they got worse this offseason. So I don't know how much things are going to change there in old Clipper town. So watch out. Clippers still might be in trouble. Moving on, topic number five, Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Money Mayweather, money team, money team, returns to the ring. The man will be boxing again in 2021, February 20th to be exact. He will be having an exhibition against a YouTube star named Logan Paul. Now, you might know, uh, you might have heard of Paul's brother, Jake Paul. Uh, he was part of the exhibition. Um, he was the pre-fight Nate Robinson, Jake Paul, uh, in that Mike Tyson, um, Roy Jones Jr. Um, exhibition. So, uh, I, I don't know anything about the Pauls other than that they're YouTube personality people, but Floyd Mayweather, I mean, pound for pound considered one of the best boxers of all time defensive specialist interesting to see him return to the ring I I really don't know what to make of it at this point I mean it's definitely like a money grab I mean I know Floyd Mayweather is good friends with Nate Robinson so this must be like some get the culture back on track but this is just fueling the fire for more exhibitions and more interesting boxing matches and matchups in the future just very random that this is what we're going to see i mean according to the events webpage, the bout will be streamed as a pay-per-view uh the first million buys will cost uh 24.99 the pricing increases after that threshold is surpassed or the date gets closer the price jumps to 69.99 starting february 11th which is roughly five dollars cheaper than the price of uh this coming saturday's Unified welterweight champion bout between Spence Jr. and Danny Garcia. Um, Mayweather and Paul are no strangers to these type of events. Mayweather retired in 2017 after um, stopping former UFC Conor uh, champion Conor McGregor. We remember that exhibition where um, there was a technical knockout by Mayweather. Um, McGregor just isn't the boxer that Mayweather is. Um, the fight, which was uh, McGregor's first boxing match, was uh, sanctioned by the Nevada State Athletic Commission and allowed Mayweather to close his official record at 50-0. and 0. So actually, my correction, it was a real fight. Apparently, it was a real fight, but this will be an exhibition. Um, you know, it's not going to go against Floyd's record, but um, God, it would be... <laughs> Could you imagine... Uh, just think about it for a second on how absurd it would be if Floyd Mayweather lost to a YouTube star. It would diminish the sport of boxing to an all-time low. And I don't think boxing is anywhere near the sport that it was back in, you know, Mike Tyson's prime or George Foreman, Muhammad Ali. Like when you actually had legend, I mean, Evander Holyfield, just some legends out there. Like boxing has just faded away you don't really have these big time you don't know the big time boxers 
used to be the biggest athletes in the world. Just Muhammad Ali, Joe Lewis, just all these guys. They used to be the biggest show in sports. Now boxing is, I mean, I guess you got Tyson Fury but and Deontay Wilder, but they're really, the, those are the biggest guys right there. Floyd Mayweather's the biggest one right now, and Manny Pacquiao too, but it's just, boxing just isn't what it used to be, and God, it would be, <laughs> oh, it would be disastrous for the sport of boxing if Floyd Mayweather were to lose this exhibition to a YouTube star. Oh, it would be such a disservice to the sport of boxing if if he were to lose this fight. I don't think he's going to lose because I think Floyd is just a defensive tactician that his just boxing mind, his boxing IQ is just so high that I don't think there's any chance of him losing but if he were to lose it <laughs> oh my god it would put the sport of boxing which is already 10 years back it would put it back another 20 years uh, it would really hurt the sport if <laughs> if Mayweather were to lose uh, it really would it would just destroy the sport but I guess it's interesting to see one of the biggest names in sport in uh, boxing come back and uh, fighting again I'm just I, don't, I think this is where boxing is really going. It's not so much getting on the main card. It's more of watching exhibitions. Like watching random guys go up against legends of the past or watching former legends go up against each other. I mean, I'm sure with the money that people saw that Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. brought in, I, I'm sure legends are like, oh my God, I'll go out there for six rounds and fight. Are you kidding me? I mean, I know... Holyfield already has reached out to Tyson and be like, let's do it. Let's give the fans what they want and give us a rematch. <laughs> I mean, I think that would be great to see those two go back at it again and Mike Tyson bite off his other ear. But I really think that's where the sport of boxing is going. I don't, if it's good for the sport, eh, I, don't, I don't know about that, you know. The, the president of the WBC says it, it's good for the sport of boxing. I, I think it just gives... It allows more fans who might not be engaged to the sport come into it and see it differently. Like, everyone knows who Floyd Mayweather is, but for him to give shine to a YouTube star like Logan Paul is, apparently, I mean, it's just... It'll bring a lot of eyeballs to the sport, that's for sure. It'll make a lot of people pay attention and actually look twice and be like, wait, what? what is going on? What is this? So I, I really think that's what this is. It's to try and get into a new market of, you know, the sport. I think that's, I think that's just how it is. So <laughs> very, it's just very random. Like, it's just very random that Floyd Mayweather is coming back. And this is just, he announced this just a couple days after Nate Robinson got knocked out by Jake Paul. I mean, he, this is just it just came out of nowhere, and apparently Logan Paul found out on Instagram like everyone else when Floyd posted it of like, oh, fight coming February 20th, 2021. So just something a little random, little sports randomness here in 2021 as this year just continues to go and go. Eh. Moving on, my unpopular opinion. We wrapped up the five topics. Now let's move on to the juicy stuff. My unpopular opinion. So, the NBA player rankings are out by ESPN. And my God, they just... <laughs> they do this for clicks. I mean, this, 
literally. It's just made for clicks. That's all this is. It, it, it is just made for to get up talking points, to just get attention and all this because the it's not even close to accurate. Of course, you, you know, it's people's opinion. But my goodness, there's a man by the name of DeMar DeRozan. And I think he's a pretty good player. Actually, I, I would say he, he's one of... I would say easily a top 50 player in the league, no doubt about it. I mean, you just look at what he did last year. Um, I mean, he was great for the Spurs. I mean, they were kind of irrelevant, but uh, he he had a, a career year for the Spurs. Um, <laughs> he averaged 22.1 points a game, five rebounds, 5.6 assists, shot 53% from the field. Not a great three-point shooter, but he hasn't been his whole career. He shot only 25.7%. Shot 84.5% from the free throw line. Had an effective field goal percentage of 53.3. Win shares, 7.3. Had a great year. His per was 21.6. I mean, all of those. Every single one of them is above his career average except for the three-point percentage. He, He was great last year. Played really well. And, um, you know, they just aren't, aren't a good team. They just don't have the talent around him. Like him and LaMarcus Aldridge are, you know, that, those are, that's it. But they ranked, oh, my God, I just, I, I, it's honestly hard to say. Last year, it should be noted, he was ranked 46 on this ranking. 46. And after a year of having a career year doing what he just did, apparently now he is the 82nd. <laughs> 82nd worst, excuse me, best player in the league. 82nd, DeMar DeRozan. So my unpopular opinion is that this ESPN list is only for clicks and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And they are terrible at evaluating players. Let's just start by naming some of the players who they have above DeMar DeRozan. The first one. So DeMar DeRozan's 82 on the top 100 players in the league right now. At 81, John Wall. (laughs) The man hasn't played in two years and is already better than DeMar DeRozan, who just had a career season. (laughs) Oh, my God. Another guy, Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson coming in at number 80. 80? What? Josh Richardson. I mean, most people don't even know who he is. Oh my God, I, I'm just confused. I'm conf- I'm confused. I mean, Josh Richardson's going to the Mavericks. I assume he's going to get a little better playing with Luca. But I mean, he just came off a year averaging 13, three and three. Shot 43% from the field. Had a per of 12. Shot 34% from three. I mean, win shares at two. Where are we evaluating these players? How are they coming up with this? I mean, what? What? 80th. And he's better than DeMar DeRozan. Uh, just, I really don't think this list knows what it's talking about. They're already ranking Duncan Robinson ahead of DeMar DeRozan. Robinson's at 75. And he's in his second year. Duncan Robinson, three-point specialist. Can't defend very well. Can't do all that much. Duncan Robinson is already apparently ahead of of DeMar DeRozan. And again, shot, scored 13 points, 
three rebounds, one assist, shot 47% from the field, 44.6% from three, and he's already better than a guy averaging 22, five, and five. Can someone please make it make sense to me? Make it make sense. I, I don't understand. Another person that they have done a huge disservice to, D'Angelo Russell. I'm not that big a fan of him just because he's not that great a defender, you know, but he's still a prolific scorer of the ball. Yeah, he's still a very good player. Uh, he was ranked 26th last year in this rankings. 26. They have him all the way at 68. After just having a year of 23 points, four rebounds, six assists, I just, I'm confused. I'm confused. I know the Warriors were terrible, and he only played, what, 33 games there, 12 games in Minnesota. I'm, I mean, I don't know how you can just move back so far on the rankings. He's 69th. 69th is D'Angelo Russell. I mean, he shouldn't be ahead of DeMar, but my God, he should be way higher on this list. More guys that they... Eric Bledsoe, ahead of him. Eric Bledsoe, <laughs> ahead of De, DeMar DeRozan and D'Angelo Russell. Eric Bledsoe. I mean, he couldn't do anything in the playoffs. He averaged 15 points a game last year. 4.6 rebounds, 5 assists. I mean, what? And he's ahead of DeMar DeRozan and D'Angelo Russell. I mean, my God. What are they doing? Seriously, what? Tyler Hero is ranked 59th on this list after doing what he did in the bubble. <laughs> 59th. Out of 500 players in the league, Tyler Hero is ranked 59th. Ninth, after coming off a season where he averaged 13 points a game. Look, he, he is a nice player on the come up, but my God, he is not in the top 60 of players. He's not better than D'Angelo Russell. He's not even close to better than DeMar DeRozan. Like, what? He plays with no fear. Great. That, mm. <laughs> that doesn't mean that he is this much better than other guys. They have Tyler Hero as better than Kevin Love, Blake Griffin, D'Angelo Russell, <laughs> and DeMar DeRozan, Serge Ibaka, to name a few guys. I mean, what? What? No way. Absolutely no way in hell. No way in hell is Tyler Hero better than those guys. No chance. I like Tyler Hero's game. I like how he plays, but he can't defend. <laughs> it, all he, he's... A good shooter. He shoots the ball very well. Still needs to improve his dribbling ability. He's not a great defender, and he never will be. Just wow. Just absolutely wow. Another guy who... that ESPN, again, my un unpopular opinion is they don't know what the hell they're doing and how they're ranking these players. Lonzo Ball is 54th. Lonzo. Lonzo... Ball, 54th. What? What? <laughs> what? 54th? Just let me read career stats for you. He, is, he averaged 
10.7 points a game for his career, six rebounds, six assists, has never shot over 40%. Is an under 40% field goal shooter and shot 34% for his career from three. He shoots four, under 50% from the free throw line I, last year. Last year, statistically, um, was his third year, and I guess it was his best year. He averaged 11.8 points a game, six rebounds, seven assists, shot 40% from the field, 37.5% from three, 56.6% from the free throw line, had a per of 13.11. I mean, what? (laughs) I just, I don't understand. I don't understand how a guy who can average 11, 6, and 7 can be ranked as the 54th best player in the league and ahead of a guy who averages 22, 5, and 5. Against a guy who averages 23, (laughs) 4, and 6. Someone please make it make sense to me. Someone. Can anyone. Can anyone make this list make sense to me? Yeah, I, th- this is how they do it. This is the rankings. We are, they're ranking the top NBA players for the 10th year. The, the ESPN has doing, been doing this for the past decade. I, I, don't, I don't understand. And that's just the top part of the list. <laughs> I mean, oh my God. Here's another one. Here's just another beautiful one. I mean, <laughs> Zion Williamson has played, how many games has he played in his career? Has he played 20 games in his career? He's played 24 games in his career. They have him ranked the 19th best player in the league. After one season, after one season of averaging 22, 6, and 2 and playing no defense, and not being able to stop anyone on that side of the ball. Now, he's got a lot of potential, but he was hurt all of last year, played 24 games, and showed little to no enthusiasm in the bubble. This man is ranked 19. 19! That's ahead of guys the likes of Kyrie Irving, Carl Anthony Towns, Bradley Beal, Jamal Murray, Paul George, Pascal Siakam, Rudy Gobert. I just, I scratch my head. I scratch my head on how they're coming out. Better than Drew Holiday, apparently. Better than Chris Middleton, apparently. Better than Russell Westbrook, apparently. I just, I'm confused. I'm confused. How can you have a guy who's played 24 games in his NBA career as a top 20 player in the league? Top 20, 19th overall to be specific. I just, wow. I mean, he's getting better and he's slimmed down. I assume this is going to be a better year. New head coach Dan Van Gundy, but my God, these rankings are just terrible. Just awful. Dreadful. Embarrassingly bad. My God. Just my God. God, the incon- like no wonder ESPN is losing money because these lists are embarrassing. Like, I understand they're for clicks, they're for all this, but really, who are you having evaluate these players? They have to watch the games. They have to see it, and I honestly think they're not, they, they aren't paying attention. 
They really don't watch the games, and they literally just do what ESPN says. They're just like, oh, this guy is really good. Well, how does he do against these guys, and how has he performed overall? Well, let's just ignore that. All right. I really don't think they know what they're doing at all, and that's my unpopular opinion. They're just... The ESPN Top 100 rankings list is awful. Just awful. And that's the end of episode 43 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. Thanks for listening. Check me out on social media. Check out my website brought to you by Wix. You know, free shout out. You're welcome for the free, you know, notoriety that I'm giving you, Wix. Uh, But yeah, you know, check me out on social media. Feel free to interact with me. And uh, as always, during this COVID-19 pandemic here of 2020 all the way in December, we're almost in 2021. Remember, wash your damn hands. All right, I'm out. Peace.